Father in heaven, I thank you for this day and for the blessing of your spirit and the fact that we are here in this place with one another or we're online. You've given us that ability as well, and I pray your spirit will draw close now as we do a little Bible study today. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and understand the word you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned in the prayer, a little different today from what we've done some other times. We're in the middle of this series on the three angels, and we've, been, we've done a lot of things. We've done some history on some days. We've spent some time in prophecy. Uh, we've, we've talked about philosophy. We've done quite a bit of theology here throughout this process. But today is a little different. Today we're just going to kind of do a Bible study, and we're gonna, it's kind of a word Bible study. But we're not doing the study from an English word. We're going to do the study from a Greek word. And the reason we're doing it this way, actually two Greek words, the reason we're doing it this way is because if you speak another language, you know this truth very well, that there can be a perfect word in one language that doesn't exactly translate into the other. You can kind of get it, but that's the thing about languages. Words tend to have overlapping meanings. And sometimes we get a narrow sense of what a word means because of the English word we've associated with it in that place. But we can often get a much richer understanding when we see other places within the text where that same word is used. So we're going to do some of that today, and we're going to do it with the Greek language. So we're going to jump right in there. You see the title for today is, anybody want to read that to us? Hupomone. That's what that word says. But let's jump right in here. We're going to go to the Apocalypsis Iwanu. That sounds very impressive, but it's just Revelation of John. Chapter 14, verse 12. And here's what we find. Hode he hupomone. There's our first key word. Hupomone. Now what that says is hear the patience, or hear the perseverance, or hear the patient endurance. We're going to flesh out that word hupomone. And then it goes on. Tone hagion. That means of the holy ones or of the saints. Have you ever heard of the church in uh, Istanbul, Turkey called the Hagia Sophia? Have you ever heard that name? Okay, that means Saint Sophia. It's the church of Saint Sophia. And, and uh, so Hagion means here the holy ones or the saints. So, so here the perseverance of the saints, esteem, is. Then the next word, hoi tyruntus. That tyruntus word is the second word we're going to key on today. Hoi tyruntus, the ones that keep tos entolas. Entolas means the commandments. Tau theu, that word theu, theos. You ever heard of God referred to as theos? That's the Greek name for God. So that's the commandments of God. Chi means and. Tone pistine, that means faith. Yezu, anyone who want to guess what that one means? Of Jesus. There you go. So it says, uh, here the patience, the saints is, uh, the ones keep the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. So if we were to put it in the King James, that's where most of us know it. King James, Revelations 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So our key words today that we're looking at from Greek are translated in the King James, patience, 
and keep. But we need to flesh these out. And so whenever you're doing a study like this, you want to be careful not to get caught in the narrowness of a single translation. One of the blessings in our day is we have multiple English translations. And it's to your benefit to read a, a favorite passage in multiple translations because sometimes we can get hung up on an English telling of something that doesn't quite capture what the actual intent was. So let me read it to you from the New International Version. And here it reads, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep His commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now let me tell you what I like about the NIV on this. I like the patient endurance phrase because it fleshes out patience a little bit. But here's what I don't like so well about this one. You see, I believe that this third angel's message, like we talked about last Sabbath, presents to us a contrast. Initially, it describes what becomes of those who have accepted the failure of man, and they're not living in the victory of God. And it is a, rare, a very difficult uh, and a doomed existence. And then it's contrasted, I believe, with verse 12, which talks about those who are living in the victory of God. But in this case, it just sounds like, well, this is something that they're going to have to put up with. So I don't like that reading as well. I feel like it loses the contrast. So the one I like best is actually the New American Standard. So I want to read you that one. It says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. All right, so we're going to try to unpack this because what I want to suggest to you is this text right here is showing you how to live your best life. You want to live your best life? Revelation 14, 12 is showing you the way. So two key words we're going to focus on that we need to understand. But let's recreate our context. We're talking about the three angels. We've talked about the first angel and how the first angel comes to announce the victory of God. And the three components of God's great victory are in that message. First of all, it centers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the core of the, of the victory of God won through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And we become Christian the day that we confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior. When that's our conviction, we've become Christian. And it is upon that basis that we are saved. But the first angel also mentions God as creator, which creates the context that gives meaning to the whole thing, and that the hour of judgment has come. So these are the components of the victory of God. The second angel talks about the failure of man. And basically what the second angel is telling us is, is anything, whether it be political or sociological or even religious, that is established by man that loses touch with God at its center, ultimately collapses. Because by nature we are self-centered and, and we start to turn everything into something about ourselves. And then that selfishness drives it to the point where it completely falls apart. So that's the failure of man, the victory of God. And then the third angel comes and creates this contrast and says, here's what happens to those who are associated with the failure of man. And here's what happens to those associated with the victory of God. So we're going to talk about specifically Revelation 14, 12 today. And our first key word is hupomone. Put that up there. Hupomone. Kind of weird how those letters come out and sound in, in uh, Greek, but that's what that says. Now to get at this, I want to go to some different passages where this word hupomone appears in one form or another, because Greek has a lot of different forms for the words depending on what part of speech it is. And the first place I want to go is to a parable that Jesus tells. 
And it's the parable of the soil. Now before we get to the text I want you to see, I'm just going to remind you of this parable. It, Jesus said, a, a sower went out to sow and he was throwing seed and some of it fell on the hard path and the birds came and took it away. And some of the seed fell on rocky soil and it sprang up quickly, but in the heat of the day it withered because it had no roots. And some of the seed fell amongst thorns and weeds and it sprang up, but the weeds and the thorns eventually choked it out and it never matured. But some of the seed fell on good soil. And it grew up and produced a crop 30, 60 to 100 fold. So, so this, this story Jesus tells about the different soils. The disciples ask him about it and, and he tells them what it means in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, that's where Hupomone shows up in this story, who by persevering produce a crop. Now this parable establishes again for us a very clear contrast between three different types of people and another type of person, a fourth. And that fourth type is described as a person who is hupomoneing to abuse that word in an English way. But anyway, that's, that's that fourth group. So what do we learn so far from this? Well, first of all, we learn that those who are persevering, those who are living in hupomone, they don't let the word of God be stolen when it comes. So that's the seed that falls on the hard ground. If your heart is hard, you can't hupomone. You don't even get the seed in you. It doesn't even happen. But they're also not shallow. See, the people that hupomone, that persevere, they receive the word and then inevitably when trouble comes into their life, they don't just say, oh, God must not be good because my life is so hard. How can God let these things happen to me? And then they melt away. The hupomone people aren't like that. And then there's a third group. They're the ones that maybe they have it really good. Life is good. They hear the story, they love the story, but they also love this, they also love that, they also like to do that. They're distracted or, or maybe they're stressed and they have all kinds of troubles and there's, there's no place for God in their life. The interesting thing about them is the seed never really dies, it just never grows up. It never matures. But here's the contrast, the good soil, the hupomone people. When the seed falls on them, they grow and mature. You see, you're not supposed to be a Christian for 10 years and it doesn't have any impact in your life. It's a process. The way it's supposed to work is a person hears the story of Jesus and believes. And in that moment, they're saved. And they step into the life of faith. And what lies ahead is the hupomone experience, the persevering experience. And they take steps day by day, month by month, year by year. They keep walking in the faith of Jesus 
They keep learning the commandments of God. They keep moving. And let's say you met that person when they first came in and then you went away for 10 years and you came back 10 years later. Well, if they're the ones choked by the weeds, they're still going to be like they were at the beginning. They come every now and then, but they're not really committed. But the ones that hupomone 10 years later, they're elders or they're teaching in the children's wing or they're participating in this way or they have a small group in their home. They're, every day they're opening their Bible and reading the Word. They're growing. There's a difference over time. I'm not saying they reach perfection. I'm just saying they mature. They grow. They change. This idea of hupomone is listed as as a requirement for people who would be leaders in the church of God. And we see a, an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And this is Paul writing, and he's writing about himself and about those with him. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. See, Paul was feeling particularly stressed right then. It wasn't just enough to say in hupomone. He has to say hupomone pole. Lots and lots of hupomoneing is what he's saying. We struggle and endure in troubles, and then he has to spell it out, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses. So here's a little heads up for you. Even if you're Paul, who sees visions from God and, and hears from God and goes on God's mission, you're going, to see, you're going to see these things. You're going to see troubles. You're going to see hardships. And you're going to see distresses in your life. And the way you deal with those is perseverance. Hupomone. Let's go on. Paul would write a letter to Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul encountered on one of his missionary journeys. And Timothy was, was half Jewish and half Greek. His father was a Greek. It was his mother's side that was the Jewish side. And his mother's side had a, had a, a legacy of faithfulness that Paul will reference that's really kind of neat. And, and so Timothy received the story of Jesus, became a believer, and Paul says, I see God's call in your life. Come with me. So Timothy would travel with Paul and become like a spiritual son to Paul and later in life, when they would be separated, Paul would write him some letters. And this is from one of them. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And he says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. So just before this, in the previous verses, he's described the weeds, the thorns. He's described everything in that parable, or lots of the things in that parable Jesus tells. If you let these things grow around you, then you'll be choked out. He says, flee from that. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, there's hupomone, and gentleness. Now what's it going to be like? He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So first thing you know is it's going to be a fight. Fight the good fight. And then the second thing is, you've got to take hold of this and hang on with both hands. Take hold of what God has called you to. Don't let go. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now specifically, these are addressed towards people who were leaders. They're applicable across the board, but let me give you some texts directly to the believers. This is James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
I got some maturing to do because I don't always consider my trials pure joy. But he says, consider it pure joy, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hupomone. How does hupomone get built into our lives? Through the testing of your faith, through the stuff we hate. That's how we learn to stay faithful, through the hard stuff. Verse 4, let perseverance, hupomone, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what does hupomone do in you? So suffering produces Hupomone produces perseverance, but what does that do? That's what finishes the work that allows you to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's James. Let's hear from Paul. Romans 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. It's the same theme. I don't love these things, but but this is reality. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Hupomone, there it is. That's how you get it. That's how you get it. Perseverance produces character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this takes us back then to to the parable of the soils. The only one that produces hope, that produces the crop, is the one that hangs on. You see, the one on the soil, they don't even get started. The one on the hard rock doesn't even get started. The, The rock grows up and then the suffering comes and they fail. And they never produce character and they never find hope. And the one in the weeds gets choked out and never gets to hope. Let's go back to James. James chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience. Ah, now here's the trick. See, if we were just doing an English word study, we might think that this patience was the same patience as the patience of the saints in Revelation 14. But actually it's not. This is a different Greek word. And I need to make an apology at this point. Because I told you that hupomone is found in the fruit of the Spirit, but I didn't tell you right, and I knew better than this because we did a series on this, and I knew this, but it's actually this word. This is another word. This word is macrothumia. Now, macro, we still use that word today, right? That's the prefix, and thumia. Thumia meant passion or anger. Macro meant long, and what this meant when you put it together was it needs to be a long time before you get angry. So patience as a long time, as long suffering, maybe is another good way of saying this word. So brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. There's the hupomone in this text. Those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. My Bible reading plan has me in Job right now. That is, a, that is a suffering story. And as he works through the struggle, he's pointed to by James as an example, even in the struggle of perseverance. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There's only one way 
to leave a legacy of faithfulness. And that is by hupomone. You persevere through the struggle. One more text. Colossians 1, before we go on to the next word. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Interesting thing about this church in Colossae, Paul was never there. He didn't preach the gospel there. He's just writing them a letter because he heard of them. We haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may, now catch these words, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Do you ever think about that in your life? You see, sometimes we get caught in the trap of the only thing I'm interested in is whether I'm saved or not saved. And we go back and forth on the saved, not saved, and, and we bring in stuff that doesn't help, and, and, and we're fixated on that. We're not paying any attention beyond that, rather than accepting the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ and standing solid on the foundation that is the only sol- solid foundation there is, we never even get to the question of, am I living my life in a way worthy of the Lord who saved me? Am I seeking to please Him with my life? What does that look like? He goes on, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have, and again, Paul can't just say hupomone, he's got to say great endurance. This is pasan hupomone, pasan hupomone. This is the kind that just all and every little bit of hupomone is in there. That you may have great endurance and patience. Macrothumia. There it is again. These words come together a lot. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So here's my question. Are you living your best life? It's kind of funny what we've done with that phrase. We kind of focus it in on a very selfish way of living. But the truth is, what Revelation 14, 12 is trying to tell us is this is how you live your best life. And key to it is hupomone. Key to it is perseverance. Well, how does it happen? That brings us to our next word. I want you to see our next word here. This is terontes. Terontes. Now, this word is usually translated as keep in the context of Revelation 14, verse 12. But we've kind of ended up with a very narrow understanding of this word keep. And I want to expand your understanding of it. But before we get to this, I want to talk to you about Revelation 14, 12 again. So here it is, New American Standard. Here is the perseverance. Here's the hupomone of the saints who keep, that's our new word, the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There's two pieces here, and I want to start on the second one. I want to talk to you about faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the key to victorious living. Faith in Jesus means I've put my confidence in the victory of God. The life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus is my means of salvation. And by faith, I stand on that solid rock. There is nothing else solid you can stand on. You can't stand on your works. They're not good enough. You can't stand on your theology. You have problems. You can't stand on your politics. It won't get you there. 
You can't stand on philosophy. You can't even stand on theology unless that theology is centered in the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only solid ground. So that's why this is included here. Their faith in Jesus, that is your foundation. But if you have that foundation, if you're standing there, now let's build. Let's build something on your foundation. And that's what this next piece is about. It says, who keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. This word, tyrantes, is, is a form of another word. The verb form is tereo, which means to keep, but it means a little more than that. And I want to demonstrate that to you by reading you a passage where this word appears. Now, I want you to see if you can tell where keep happens. All right, this is Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. Now, what's taking place here is Jesus has just died on the cross. And here's what it says. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Did you see keep anywhere in there? Let me read it to you again and I'll show you where it is. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding, that's Tyrantus, Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. Now, what meaning does this give us that goes beyond this narrow meaning of keep we might have had? Well, guarding, that's another thing. These were soldiers who were under orders and they said, your job is to keep that guy right there till he's dead. You guard him. You make sure this works, that this happens. That's kind of another level, isn't it? If we're supposed to have that attitude towards the commandments of God, that it is my solemn duty to make sure this happens. Wow, that's a little bigger than maybe what we thought keep meant. Well, let me give you another one here. This is a little better setting. This is John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying with his disciples. And he says, see if you can find keep in this one. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. <laughs> this is kind of a trick, because keep is there in the form of kept, right? But that's not our word. We're looking for a different one. It's translated something else. Yeah, you got it. Here it is. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. That's our word. That's the keep word. Protect them. Jesus is using this word to describe the manner in which God cares for us and looks after us. He uses another form of it again. He says, I protected them and kept them safe. So here's what I want you to understand from this, from this word. So far we have it meaning guarding. We have it meaning protect. Is your compassion and concern towards God's commandments as intense as his compassion and concern for you? See, this is the equivalence. This is the challenge. Let me show you one more way that this word appears. This is John chapter 8. Verse 51, Jesus is in a dispute with different ones around him. And he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. This time that word is translated obeys. 
Guarding, protecting, obeys. They come back at him. At this they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys, teruntus, your word, will never die. Guarding, protecting, obeying. Let me give you one more. Again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. We were in some verses before this. Verse 13, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep, there it is as keep, this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Do you see the context though, the buildup? This is like a massive oath. In the presence of God who made everything and in the presence of Jesus who was faithful even at the most difficult hour, I charge you. Keep this command. That's big. That's what Revelation 14, 12 is telling us. The first angel talks about all those pieces, right? In the context of God as creator, in the context of Jesus as savior, in the context of the coming judgment, I charge you, keep the commandments of God. That's a little bit bigger. That's a little bit more than we were thinking. Now don't get them messed up. This comes after you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. This is after the seed is sown in your heart. This is how you mature, by keeping the commandments of God. Now what happens to us if we don't? We go to the book of Jude, and this is actually pretty fascinating here because this word is used in, in contrast that very well points out the contrast, I think, in the third angel's message. The first part talks about those who don't keep what God has said, and the second part, those who do. So here's Jude 6. And the angels who did not keep, that's our word, <clears throat> their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So those who don't keep what God has commanded have fallen away. They've fallen with Babylon. But now Jude verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep, there's our word, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. This word matters. The outcomes of going with what this tells us is, is critical. See, here's the myth. Many have come to think that because I'm not saved by keeping the commandments of God, the commandments of God don't matter. But this is a myth. And this is a myth that hurts people at the very deepest level of their life. Now, I'm not telling you you're not saved by grace. You absolutely are. I agree with the first part of this that says I'm not saved by keeping the commandments of God. Absolutely agree with you. The whole Ten Commandments series we did was all about this. But that doesn't mean they aren't important. How are they important? They are important because they are the key to you living your best life. If you disregard them, your life will end up a train wreck. It's not because God is mean. It's because you made bad choices. But if you keep the commandments of God, you are kept with God. So here are the keys. 
to living your best life. Absolute confidence in Jesus for salvation and living according to the commandments of God. This is it. This is what it is. And this takes us back to what Pastor Bernie was talking about that I quoted last Sabbath. Jesus saves and Jesus satisfies. Jesus saves, that's faith in Jesus. Jesus satisfies, that's believing that the commandments God has given are the ones that will give me my best life. I'm always reminded when I think about this of Psalm 19. And many of us years ago, we learned a little song that went with Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Remember this? You probably sang this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And it goes through all these different things. But then you come to the chorus, and it says, More to be desired are they, the laws of God, than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Exactly. Now, I want you to think about this. What this is telling us is you're walking along the path, and you see on the left side over here, much fine gold. Wow, that's nice. And you look over here, and here's the law of God. What are you going to pick up? Okay, the impulse is to pick up the much fine gold, right? But you go for that, it's going to destroy your life. You go this way, and you will have riches untold. The poorest man who has God's law in his heart is the richest man in heaven's eyes. How many people, maybe, you know, that's a stark reality, but how many people are really doing that with their life? They're doing everything. They're so caught in the weeds of trying to get the gold that they've completely lost the place of God's law in their life. Romans chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. I'll tell you that the message of the three angels appears everywhere. I want to suggest to you that this is the third angel's message. It's just in different language. Listen to this. To those who by hupomone, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So that's the promise. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They're intense. They're intending on it. But here's the other group. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Is that not what the third angel says? Is that not exactly what it tells us? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. One more text and then we'll stop. Revelation, uh, not Revelation, Romans chapter 8, verse 22. See if this feels true. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I, I think about this every time I'm driving in my car along the road and I, I see some poor hapless little critter that got run over by one of us in our haste to do something. And I just think creation groans. We harm it. The environment, the oceans, we harm it. We're not a blessing to it. Verse 23, but not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We, we get weak, don't we? We get sore, we get tired, we get old, we groan. <clears throat> for in this hope we were saved 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it with hupomone. There it is. That's how we hang on. That's how we live our best life. Perseverance, patient endurance, faith in Jesus as our foundation, keeping the commandments of God. This is hupomone. This is the experience. This is what grows us up. So here's what I would say to you. In a second, Dion's going to play us a song of meditation. And this is going to be your time to reflect in your mind and make your commitments to God. Here's what I say to you. You want to live your best life? Never give up. Learn God's commandments and live them. It's your best life. Trusting Jesus, trusting His Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we reflect on these words, Lord, bring a conviction to our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.